You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. All right, everybody, welcome back to episode 81 of Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. As always, I've got my co-host, Eurosimos, and today we have an incredible guest for you. As always, we have Mike Donio. Mike holds a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and molecular biology with a minor in chemistry from the University of Massachusetts and a master's degree in biotechnology with a concentration in biotechnology enterprise from John Hopkins. He is an accomplished scientist with 20 years of experience in the biotech and pharmaceutical industry. His unique experience spans from working under a top infectious disease doctor on HIV research to a senior scientist developing antibodies to treat cancer. Due to his deeply held religious beliefs, he was let go from his most recent role for not complying with the COVID vaccine policy. Mike, thank you so much for being here for the truth. Yeah, thank thank you both so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate, I mean, every opportunity to share my story and, and speak some truth. I've been uh, overwhelmed by the, the the amount of support. So thank you guys. Awesome, man. Yeah, we noticed you visited some of our friends at AlphaCast and Beth Martins and Alex X. So it's great to have you here for sure. And I know you've obviously shared your story a little bit, but um, for our audience, can you just give us a, a, a brief backstory as to, I guess, you found yourself on a platform like this, speaking out the way you are now? Yeah, sure. Um so, you know, I, I went into science, um, you know, with, I guess, um, a, an interest in science and some naivete that I could actually maybe do some good. And that was before I realized what it was truly all about. Um, and shortly after getting my degree, I started doing some research um, in a virology lab studying what was supposedly HIV, um, and did that for a few years. And then, um, you know, I, I didn't ever intend to go into industry, but it was one of those things that kind of just happened. And so then I next jumped into, um, big pharma for, I think it was five or six years. And then most recently I was with a biotech company in the, uh, oncology space. So I was developing antibodies to treat cancer um and brought two antibodies to clinical trials and um that kind of led up to about last october well or the end of september or early october when um the comp- my now former company rolled out a mandate uh for the for the covid jab and um i didn't comply and here i am <laughs> yeah well, can we, um, I'm, I'm so curious about this because my, my first foray into, let's say going down the rabbit holes or truth seeking was through HIV AIDS. I had a, I had a, an, an acting teacher of mine actually in the past that gave me Dr. Carrie Mullis's autobiography, Dancing Naked in the Minefield in 2005. And that definitely piqued my curiosity. And I kind of went down some rabbit holes and got introduced to the likes of of, you know, Peter Duisberg or Carrie Mullis or Stefan Lanka and all these people. So I'm curious, since you just said like so-called HIV, I, I just, I would love for you to just talk about that, <laughs> like in terms of what is the the dogma that people have been fed for, you know, 30, 40 years now. And then 
what is the truth in your opinion? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the the general paradigm is that HIV is the causative agent for what is known as AIDS. So acquired immune deficiency syndrome and HIV is human immunodeficiency virus. And, you know, just like with pretty much everything else, um, where we want to assign one thing to cause, a, you know, a disease, which in this case is a syndrome of a basket of, you know, I forget how many symptoms it's comprised of now. It kind of kept bunch. growing there for, yeah, kind of like with COVID too, where it just, yeah. they just keep adding symptoms and different things to it. And, um, but HIV was what was, I guess, formally accepted by the NIH, the NIAID, which is the kind of allergy and infectious disease branch of the NIH. That's what Fauci heads up. Um, as kind of the official causative agent of AIDS. And then after that, it was um, basically impossible to investigate anything else as causing AIDS. And, um, you know, that that's an interesting story because it was, it was Robert Gallo. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, Luke Montagnier, who recently passed away, was one of the other ones who was kind of credited with discovering the HIV virus. But when Gallo kind of wheeled it out and did a big, press conference, it was before he had published any work or any evidence about it. So it was, it's, it's a, actually it's a pretty big scandal. That guy is at least as shady as Fauci, if not more, but um, not many people probably know about that, but HIV. So, you know, when I went into studying HIV, I guess this was very early on in my career. And so, I mean, I kind of went in with some preconceived notions from my studies and stuff about what I thought virology would entail. And I kind of naively thought, well, they must be isolating a virus from a patient sample and then characterizing that and using that to, you know, assess different therapeutic interventions and things like that. Like that just made sense. Sure enough, when I actually got into the lab, that wasn't at all what we were doing. We were, we were making viral stocks in cell lines. Um, And then basically assuming that there was a virus in there because we saw something happen, you know, using some, um, another kind of cellular assay, which was, you know, effectively an indirect measurement. And then you just kind of believed that there was a virus there. We never isolated anything. And in fact, when I asked why you couldn't, um, study the, the primary virus from a patient sample, the response was that there wasn't enough. And, you know, that's one of the weird things about HIV. So the whole, basically a lot of, one of the buzzwords around HIV is viral load. It's basically this kind of way that they claim you can measure the amount of virus in a given volume of, you know, per amount of blood, let's say, um, in a, in a, patient that has supposedly tested positive for it. And that is done using a, basically a PCR assay or a form of a PCR assay. And um, so the idea is uh, the higher the viral load, they would say the more virus that you have circulating around. Um, but the idea, the, the thing is that even at what is supposedly considered a high viral load, it's actually as I found out, really low, and it's not enough to actually do anything with. Um, so you have to make these 
these stocks and things using cell lines and then do all your testing on that. And even when you're doing studies in animals, you're making a virus on cells and then testing that. So it's, can, yeah. Can you, can you talk about just even the term isolation, you know, what that means in, in, in virology maybe versus other, other realms? Right. That, that's one of those words that seems to have different meanings depending on who you're talking to, specifically a virologist or I guess anybody else that's not a virologist. <laughs> um, because to most people, you would think, you know, isolation or um, another way of putting it would be purification would be to basically separate something, whatever you're looking to isolate from everything else uh, so that you could could study it. And you could clearly say, we know that we have this independent variable X, and then we can characterize it and, and, and everything and study its function. And the only way we can do that is by separating it away from everything else. Well, in virology, it's come to mean something entirely different. So basically the idea with, with viruses, they're these, um, you know, intracellular parasites that require cells supposedly to replicate they're, They don't really have any function by themselves without at least that's you know the way we're we're supposed to believe this all works is that they require cells to replicate they're pretty much inner particles meaning they don't really have any activity by themselves so virologists have taken it upon themselves to define isolation as this requirement to take what they believe to be virus but it you know it could be um say a patient sample. So in the case of SARS-CoV-2, this would be like something from a, a nose swab, a, a nasopharyngeal swab or lung fluid. Um, and then putting that onto cells because they say, okay, well, it the virus has to replicate and then we have to see it do something to the cells. And in most cases, they look for the cells to break down and they, they call it CPE, cytopathic effect. But And then that's, then they say that they've isolated the virus or more more recently, what they've done is it did not even said, well, we don't even want to do that stuff. We can use these new genomic techniques and technologies, and we can go and just isolate bulk RNA and then find the proverbial needle in a haystack and assemble a genome. And then if it, if it doesn't come up in our predefined databases that we call human, then we'll assume it's viral. And then we match it up with a, again, predefined COVID or coronavirus genome. And, oh, look at that. It matched that. So, we'll, you know, so we, in reality, isolation should be separating something out from everything else, but it's come to mean this completely other kind of contrived thing based on the way virologists perceive that viruses are supposed to work. And then also now it's just, you know, if you can isolate a, you know, a sequence of some genome that you can somehow convince yourself that it's viral because it doesn't match anything else or it matches something, then you say that it's been, that you've isolated a virus. It, I mean, so there seems to be a lot of assumptions going on uh, in virology, like where they just take a tissue sample, snot, whatever the case may be, and they automatically assume that there are viruses within that sample without actually testing and separate and, and, and figuring out whether there actually is 
a virus in that sample. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So they'll take the lung fluid, they'll they'll take a sample from the, you know, up the nose. And, um, you know, I've seen these papers where they'll literally take it, like the first paper, um, the first patient that was identified as having this novel virus in Wuhan, they literally took lung fluid from one patient and isolated bulk RNA and then did sequencing using this crazy new kind of high throughput RNA sequencing approach where you get all of these sequences that you then have to use software to assemble something in a computer. And, and then you kind of feed that into databases and align it with other things based on what is already in there. And then it spits out and it tells you what it's most like and what it, but I mean, they never isolated any particle to associate that with. So it was all based on everything that was already kind of pre-established or pre-categorized in databases that they could match things to. I mean- Algorithm. Right, no, but you never had a particle that you said, here's the particle, we took the RNA or whatever, and so we know this genome comes from this particle. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Mike, what is a virus? Yeah, so a virus is basically, I can't think of the, recall the exact dif dictionary definition off the top of my head. I, I have it right here. I have it right here. An infective oh, agent that, that typically consists of a nucleic acid molecule, molecule in a protein coat is too small to be seen by light microscopy and is able to multiply only within the living cells of a host. Right, exactly. So it's basically an, an obligate intracellular parasite that requires a host cell to, to replicate. So it's a very tiny particle. Like you're saying, you can't see it with a normal light microscope because you can't get a high enough magnification. So you typically would have to use something like an electron microscope, but there's a lot of issues with those. You're, you're not actually seeing um, an exact image with that you have to do a crazy amount of preparation and to believe that what's going on what your those things are not impacting your sample in some way and potentially creating artifacts is you know ridiculous so when you look at images with the with the electron microscope i mean you kind of have to take it somewhat with a grain of salt and there's been a lot of um papers that actually there was one with respect to SARS-CoV-2 where they actually came out and said, oh, you know, there's actually been some issues with detecting um, viral particles via electron microscopy. And they showed like these kidney biopsies and there were particles that you would have thought were the SARS-CoV-2 virus because they looked like these little particles and they had these things that you, you know, they would have could have pointed to and been like, oh, that's the spike protein. But, but it just turned out to be some other particle or vesicle or something. So, um, you know, they're really small particles. They supposedly require cells to replicate. They don't have any activity by themselves. Um, and they're, the main key thing is they're supposed to be a piece of RNA or DNA, nucleic acid. So some of them, it's even said that they, it's just a piece of nucleic acid without any other proteins or or things like that, which is 
I, I, I really can't understand how that one is supposed to work. But um, so with a virus, like effectively, they're supposed to hijack the, a cell and gain entry to it and then basically utilize the cell's replication machinery to replicate itself. But why a cell would would do that voluntarily, I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're made up of, sometimes made up of lots of different kinds of proteins. Um, you know, SARS-CoV-2 has, is supposed to have these things called these spikes on the surface that engage with some, um, receptor, the ACE2 protein that's on different kinds of cell types. And that's how it's supposed to gain entry. But I mean, again, it's, would be pretty much a completely random interaction because there's no, the virus is just this tiny particle that can't move. It can't do anything really by itself. So, you know, it would just kind of be like floating around and then happen to come across some cell that it would recognize. And then the cell would just let it in and then it would replicate itself. And then, you know, somehow then come out of the cell I mean, is is kind of the way that it's supposed to work, but I don't know. So, so if if a lot of this, as some people say, is pseudoscientific, how do, how do you think so many people for so many years, you know, over a century or however long it's been, continue to espouse these ideas on viruses and their impact? Like, why do you think that is? I mean, I think it's a lot easier to accept that when you get sick or whatever, that it's caused by this one thing. And also it's this one thing that you don't really have any responsibility for. You know, you just happen to come in contact with this virus or whatever, and it made you sick. And there was nothing you can do about it because it's just out there and you know, and so you don't have to consider any other possible um, causative factor like the majority, which have implications to to your lifestyle and things like that, which would actually hold you accountability for accountable for what you put in your body, on your body, what your you know other things you're subjecting yourself to, and I mean your mental have, your mental and emotional state exactly. I mean, we we especially here in in the states we that live very toxic lifestyles in many different ways. And to believe that, you know, that is what's causing you to be sick. I mean, then people would actually have to be responsible for the stuff that they do, but we're supposed to be free, right? And we can do whatever we want and it's never going to have an impact. And hang, on, Mike, hang on, man. <laughs> are you implying that human beings are responsible for their health? <laughs> well, we've been... I think we've been led to believe that we don't have to be responsible for it. And that's where, you know, you, if you just believe that the virus is making you sick, then right. You don't have to worry about anything, but yeah, in reality, I mean, you can only push the body so far or before it's going to start to break down, even though I think it can do a lot of amazing things. I mean, yeah. there's limits. <laughs> it perpetuates victim consciousness. You know, I think that's right. why people like love holding on to and grasping on this idea, you know, and, and it's actually like, this was even part of um, 
you know, what drew me when I, when I was going down these rabbit holes in the beginning, you know, and reading about the late, late 70s and early 80s, even in the gay community, you know, and I have gay friends that are on the same page as we are. And I have this conversation with them is that, you know, back then, once Robert Gallo came out and they did that, they did that press conference with the press, the, the health secretary, whoever it was, I forget what her name was, maybe Margaret something. And, and um, they were like, we have found the cause of AIDS and it is a virus. And so even that community was just like, see, it's not our lifestyle. It's not this it's it's a virus and and i know and i know that like early on there were people that were thinking it was a multi multifactorial like the the reasons that this was like th- these symptoms were coming about but then once you know media took over once establishment science took over it was like it was like okay here we go and then here we are 40 years later mhm yeah i mean i think you couldn't even get once they established HIV as the causative factor, I think you couldn't even get funding to investigate anything else. Like that was it. If you wanted to study AIDS or whatever, it was HIV or nothing, basically, you know? And um, what was really unfortunate because there's, you know, if you look at the symptoms of the things that are, you know, supposed to define AIDS, there's a lot of things. And, you know, some of which are associated with lifestyles of certain groups that absolutely can cause those symptoms but you know they've just wound up being left to well it's a virus and then even the treatment that our good dr fauci brought forth azt oh yeah i mean that caused a lot of quote-unquote aids deaths itself wasn't liver failure like for a long time like the number one cause of death in in aids patients and it was like pretty much due to the fact that these 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 uh, AIDS drugs were highly, highly toxic. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the a- AZT, so to give an idea of how toxic AZT is, AZT was first developed as a chemotherapeutic agent, and we know how toxic chemotherapies are, but it was considered to be too toxic as a chemotherapeutic agent. So they shelved it, and then I think they tested it for something else like hepatitis C or something first. And then when that didn't work and then, and HIV came along, a la Robert Gallo, then, then they were able to be like, oh, look, okay, we can use it on this. And then they, you know, cooked up a whole story where, of how it could, you know, work by some mechanism to inhibit the replication of HIV. But I mean, it's insanely toxic. And in many cases, I mean, Again, if you take this for any amount of time, you're going to wind up with crazy side effects and symptoms and you're going to just break down. I mean, and it's going to kill you. And it's actually very similar to um, the drug that's being used for for COVID, remdesivir. It's a very Mm. similar um, molecule and mechanism of action. So what's Magic Johnson's secret? You know, I, who knows? But I mean, maybe he's not taking anything, and he's just—I would think you know, so. improved his health. You know, who knows? Yeah. Or did he really yeah. have anything to begin with? I mean, I mean, well, that's the whole thing. He tested here is positive. Like, well, yeah. So the, the, here we go. Maybe we can get into that too. Is like this idea of testing positive because there's correlations, I think, with HIV and AIDS and SARS-CoV-2 and COVID. You know, there seems oh, yeah. to be correlations. So if you want to talk about that, you can. But even if you want to get into 
just this idea of like positives and false positives. I know with AIDS, there was like the, like the Western blot and the ELISA test. And then, and then we have uh, the different testing for, for COVID. Um, so can you talk about that? Can you talk about PCR? Can you even explain what PCR is for people that are listening? I mean, I know I just threw a lot of stuff out there, but <laughs> kind of roll with it. Yeah. I mean, when I started to see all of the COVID stuff roll out, it immediately clicked in my head. Like this is, this just looks so much like HIV. I, you know, it was hard for me to ignore it, but because I obviously had that exposure, but so with HIV, I forget what the first test was, but it, it might've been the, the Western blot, but, and then they have this, it's an ELISA test, which looks for antibodies. So that test is very similar to, to what is used to find supposed antibodies to SARS-CoV-2 as well. Um, but both of them are very highly error-prone. And the problem was that alone, they had massive false positive rates. So they had to create this whole scheme where they, they um, did like one test and then a follow-up test and then a follow-up. To, like you had to go through all these kind of levels because they kept having so many false positives in order to find who they thought was a true positive they kept having a test you know do do all these different levels of testing to try to drill down and even then you know sometimes it would just it was kind of inconclusive or or then they kind of had to establish other kind of rules to to designate like i said the the um the test that they used to to determine kind of how much virus you have the viral load that's a pcr based test I don't, I don't think they use, which is interesting. They don't actually use PCR as a primary diagnostic for HIV, which kind of was when COVID was coming around. And one of the first things I was curious about was, okay, what is this test that they're using to, to diagnose it? And as soon as I found that it was a PCR assay, I was like, well, I really hope that that's just a short-term thing because this is going to be a disaster. And sure yeah. enough. I mean, it's it's caused all you know all of these problems with where you have cases, but you don't have any um, illness, which is just absurd. That we're going to say that somebody's sick because they test positive for a test and not. Where did they also? Because I thought like this was the the most brilliant thing, you know, in terms of if you wanted to create a population that was living in a in a trauma based fear state is like, oh, you know, it's two weeks. And even if you don't have symptoms, you can still have it and pass it. Like, where did that even come from? That just, there's so many things that I felt like they kind of were, I guess I would say, I think with respect to COVID, the truth has been very pliable throughout the whole thing. They've kind of, you know, changed it a lot in different ways as this has gone on to, to fit you know, whatever. Because science keeps changing. The science I mean, changed. That's why. Right. <laughs> Never before would you have this situation where you had this idea that someone could test positive and not be symptomatic. I mean, never before would you quarantine healthy people. Never before would you, you know, put masks on healthy, you know, previously it was always you'd quarantine the sick. You'd, if you were sick, you, maybe you wore a mask, maybe you didn't, you know, but this whole idea, like all of these things were just, complete just manipulation of what was prior truth about how you managed a supposed viral disease or whatever. 
And they just, I mean, not the least of which they changed the definition of vaccine. Oh, yeah. Um, and then woman. <laughs> and what, well, yeah. <laughs> isn't, isn't science supposed to be the study of objective reality? Right. I mean, science, the word science literally means knowledge. It's derived from the Latin scientia, which literally means knowledge. And then, you know, it's not, it, more formally, it's like knowledge of the world within and around us as understood by observation and experimentation. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's questioning and and, and explore, exploring, not just belief. <laughs> yeah. So did you have colleagues that you felt were growing aware of, you know, the what, what, what was taking place and the distortion that was going on, but kind of just decided, um, you know, not, not, not to say anything or not to question it the way that you were? What's the general ecosystem or belief within the actual scientific community like? I mean, surely on some level, these people obviously highly intelligent. Is a, are they just gagged or is it just indoctrination? I, I think it's largely indoctrination. There's um, a lot of big egos in science. It comes down to just wanting to make a name for yourself and and build your career. And so if questioning something would compromise that, you're just not going to do it. But that's not to say by any means that everyone's in on it or nobody questions anything. Um, the, the majority I would think kind of are resigned to just believing things because of their schooling, their indoctrination. But I mean, I definitely encountered people who had reservations and questioned things. And I, you know, would have, um, throughout my career, but also in my most recent role, but it was just when push came to shove, even though when the last mandate was rolled out and we had kind of a series of things where they increase the um, mitigation strat, you know, whatever you want to call it, but like where they had, you know, it started with masks and then it was like different crazy rules around quarantining and stuff, whether you were jabbed or not. And then it was mandating kind of came last. And, and then there was uh, stuff with testing and, and that too. And there were a couple of people who were like, wow, okay, I think that maybe it's gone a little too far, but when push came to shove, you know, I, I was the only one that was like, nope. <laughs> so, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's one of these things where it's like, it's hard to get scientists to speak out too, because retribution is very real. I mean, you're, you're gonna not only lose your job, but it, it's going to be next to impossible to get a job anywhere in, in the industry. If you, speak out, stand up. Yeah. Well, I mean, even going back to what we were talking about around HIV AIDS, I mean, Peter Duisberg was considered, you know, one of the most reputable, uh, mm -hmm. was he an oncologist or virologist? And he, was doing, yeah, he yeah. was doing a lot of, and he was doing, you know, a lot of amazing work, was getting so much funding, grants, et cetera. And the minute he started challenging the, the, the hypothesis that HIV is the sole cause of AIDS, like he was just like blacklisted, blackballed. Yeah, he was highly regarded. He actually, so when I was doing HIV research and I kind of came to, you know, some conflicts around what I thought it was supposed to be and then what it actually, what I was doing, I started doing, re, you know, research because I was like, well, what's, 
is there anybody else that's questioning this or thinking about this? There's, you know, it can't just be me. And so I stumbled upon Peter Duesberg and the Perth group and others, mm-hmm. you know, that were questioning the HIV AIDS. And, you know, yeah, it was like one day he's this highly regarded um, oncologist who had a, had a theory that's pretty widely accepted with regard to cancer. Um, and then he comes out and says that HIV is not the cause of AIDS. And it's like, you know, he's, uh, I mean, then nobody will listen. He's got the, he's got the scarlet AIDS. letter put on him. You know? Right, exactly. I mean, it was wild. I, it was a crazy story because, you know, how do you go from being like this guy who everybody wants to listen to? He's talking at all these conferences and stuff like this. He's going around, you know, he's this expert on whatever. And then says one thing and it's like he's persona non grata. Nobody wants anything to do with him. You know, he's blacklisted. And yet we're in the scientific community. And like you said before, what is science? It is about knowledge. It's about making observations. It's about challenging assumptions. And we live in this world. And I just think it's gotten more insane where it's like you can't question anything. If you question the consensus, you are done. You are axed. (laughs) There will be hit campaigns, media hit campaigns on you. Your name is going to be rolled through the mud. You're done. And it's like, what? And then people go along with this. It's like, can we just have a dialogue? Can we have an open forum? Can we take, you know, uh, someone like yourself? Can we get to take these other scientists and have a, a conversation? How about Fauci lines up and has a conversation with someone? It never happens, you know? And yet people still go, well, no, of course. The, it was on the news. It's Of course right. it's right. You're wrong. You're a conspiracy theorist. How dare you? Yeah. I mean, trust the science, trust the experts, believe in the science. I think even at one point Fauci said he was the science. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it it just gets more absurd every day. And the fact that you're not supposed to, you're just supposed to take what they say. And I mean, okay. I, I don't think that people would, you know, I think there was in kind of an intentional like ramping up of fear and things that that made people just not even able to think about yeah questioning. And so they didn't, and then it became and then as things went along, if if you wanted to then start asking questions, it was like, nope. <laughs> yeah, it takes a certain it takes a certain level of psycho-emotional fortitude and being connected to to who you are as an individual. Uh, faith and trust in yourself, you know, um, to to see through some of this stuff and to stay true to yourself because most go along. Most go along when they get along, to get along. And it's, um, yeah, it's very interesting to see why certain people make the choices they make and other people don't. I think I'm so fascinated by that from like a human behavioral standpoint. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah. It's almost like, this distortion of reality just taken on a life of its own, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like it has its own MO beyond just the people that are propagating it now and just, you know, just drifted all these people completely so far removed from objective reality and from what science actually is. And yeah, it's, it's shocking to see. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Right. I mean, you basically had then people kind of self-reinforcing it within their communities because, you know, if you weren't doing what they were told was, you know, you were supposed to be doing to protect everybody and all this stuff, you know, then you'd get harassed and you'd get, I mean, 
it, it was just got really weird as like you couldn't possibly assess your own risk or develop your own opinions or do your own research. It was like you had to just do what you were told. And that was the only option. It's like, what? I think there was I think there was that Forbes article where it was like how it's dangerous to do your own research. Or there was that article. Right, that there was, should, yeah, yeah. You didn't do your own research. <laughs> yeah. Don't uh, even think about thinking. Just, yeah, yeah. you know, hand it over to somebody else. <laughs> which is, uh, which, yeah. which, which blows my mind. Uh, Ayn Rand once said, an error made on your own is safer than 10 truths accepted on faith. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mm-hmm. seem like people are allowed to make their own errors these days or even attempt no. to. Oh, can't have anybody getting too close to the truth. <laughs> no. Okay, so obviously you've taken this stance now. You've spoken out against it. Um, you're you're willing to stand alongside the truth. I mean, what's your what's your plan personally from here in terms of work? Yeah, um, that's been a little bit interesting. Um, I so you know along the way the last. I guess it's been about 10 months or so now. I mean, it's been a pretty incredible journey. And like I said, you know, very liberating in a lot of ways because I was no longer working in the the belly of the beast, so to speak. And I had a lot of questions and issues with the pharma industry and stuff, aside from just the the mandate and COVID and all that. But um, so... You know, I've connected with a lot of great people and um, I'm, but I'm trying, well, I guess the one thing I, so I started this like community of scientists after I lost my job because mm-hmm. um, I went looking for other people and other scientists and stuff that, you know, like-minded. So I'm like, there's got to be other people out there that are, you know, talking about this. I mean, how could they not be? But I couldn't find anything. So I just kind of, started my own group um and it's called scientists for health freedom and you know it's grown really organically and we've got a great group of people you know quite a quite an impressive amount of expertise so when if anybody says like oh you know anybody that's looked that's questioning this virus stuff or that's um you know exploring the truth about all this there's no real doctors or scientists or whatever coming out well i got a whole group of doctors scientists healthcare you know you name it independent researchers people that are just hungry for the truth i mean it's it's amazing and it just keeps growing every day um and i want to support and try to encourage people that to speak out more and so that was kind of one of the other motivating factors with that because I think we need more people to speak out. So I've been working on that. Um, And then I have some collaborations that I'm working on with other people that I've connected with. I'm working on some collaborations with uh, Dr. Andy Kaufman. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also trying to launch um, kind of a project that um, I kind of came up with myself. And this is basically a resource that's geared towards trying to make science more approachable. Mm. The idea being big thing with all of this is most people, you know, science is kind of has like a its whole separate language, right? And so that becomes an instant and almost insurmountable barrier for a lot of people. And they encounter the terminology and things that they don't know what it means. And then they just go right to an expert 
And then, you know, you're just looking at those other people to tell you what this stuff means and what, what to do. And, you know, then you've lost because you're not thinking for yourself and you've handed over your thinking to someone who doesn't have your best interest. So I thought, well, there's got to be a way to make this more approachable. And if you could get people beyond that kind of language barrier, so to speak, with the terminology, it, the concepts and stuff are actually quite simple. And then, you know, start to show people, well, how do you, you know, look at research papers and any kind of scientific data, patents, whatever. So if stuff comes out, somebody, you know, says, oh, well, there was this new study out and it says, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, trying to drum up fear or whatever, you'd be able to look at it and say, well, no, this data is junk. I don't believe this. I don't have to worry about it. Or, you know, oh, maybe it is worth considering, but you wouldn't have to just rely on somebody to tell you, you know, like a Fauci or some other expert, quote unquote. Um, and so I'm trying to, to roll that out. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it, I kind of, close the door on <laughs> the industry on the kind of science that I was doing, but I, you know, I still think there's other ways that I can use this kind of freedom that I now have to, to speak the truth, but to also think about solutions because, you know, like you said, this wasn't something that just happened within a couple of years. I mean, this has been a long time coming of really engineering the people. And so we, we have to, if we're going to to have any chance in the future of having this sort of thing not happen or or give future generations a chance and i have kids we got to start now planting seeds to kind of reverse that and instill in our children the ability to ask questions and question everything and you know and so that they don't have this stuff lorded over them and you know that's kind of what it's about too. And, but I also think that we, there should be ways to do science. I mean, I think there's value in doing science, but real science, not, not the, not the, uh, the junk that we call science now, but, and you, of course you can't do that in the system because it's pretty much irreparably broken. Um, you know, so I've talked to a lot of people about how can we do science in kind of a decentralized you know, way, build a parallel system or something, because I think there's value in people to, to ask questions. I mean, like with the virus thing, you can debate it all you want, but if we can do real experiments to actually get data to say one way or another, what, you know, can we actually isolate something? Can we actually, you know, that's more powerful than, than anything, but, but you can't do that in the current system. If I want to write a grant, get funding or whatever, and I want to say, oh, I want to do an experiment to try to, you know, disprove virology or whatever, you know, nobody's going to fund you. Nobody's going to give you space to, you know, I mean, so yeah. stuff like that. So, so Mike, based on, based on all the research you've done and your experience in the industry um, and all the data that's out there right now, currently based on the science, do you believe that viruses have been proven to exist? And, and have they been, and if so, have they been proven to be pathogenic and cause disease? I, I do not think that there's, there's evidence that they have been proven to exist. That, that doesn't mean that I'm just flat out saying that they don't exist. I, I hold a very open mind. And if someone someday 
did the experiment, the proper experiment with the proper controls and showed that you could actually isolate a virus and then went through and, you know, and show that it was what we're told it is, or maybe it's something a little bit different, you know, then sure, I'm willing to change my opinion. I, you know, and that's the thing, the argument that I think a lot of people kind of confound or don't understand the argument. I mean, it's not necessarily that everybody's saying that viruses don't exist. They'll never, you know, absolute, like it's looking at the evidence Mm-hmm. There is not that key evidence that shows that a that a virus has been isolated, separated from everything else, so that you can have that independent variable and know what it is, characterize it. What what is it made of? Does it have little spiky things on the outside? What are the other proteins that comprise it? Crack it open, and is there a genome in there that we can define? And then does that actually encode those proteins that that it's supposed to be made up of? And then we can study its function, et cetera. But if you don't have that virus, that particle, that independent variable, how can you know anything else that comes after it is true? Yeah. So people aren't, the the people that are out, they're just not challenging the foundational premise. You know, they just, they're Mm -hmm. just coming into it, assuming that of course, of course the sample has it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of assumptions in, in science. Unfortunately, it's, it's, built on a very faulty foundation of a lot of unfounded assumptions. And that's just, that's not even virology. I mean, that's oncology. I mean, it's kind of across the board. There's so many things that are just assumed, taken for granted, and they're never actually tested, controlled for. I mean, and so you, you know, it, it, but it, but it's the system that perpetuates this stuff. I mean, it's all the product of the system, the way it was designed, because that's how you get money. That's it. You have to, you have to um, publish papers and things like that. And, you know, you want to cast your work in the best light. You know, if you've got a grant, you said, well, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, you want to publish and you don't want to be, nobody publishes negative data, which is a huge problem in itself. So that means you've got to kind of cherry pick and tell a story that makes your work look good. Right. And so you can keep getting funding and, or if you're in industry, you know, you got to build value in your, your molecule because that's your product. You're trying to drive, you know, generate profits off of it. What, people what's don't want to think about that. Yeah. Well, what's that mean? Nine, 90% of scientists agree with the people that are funding them or maybe more than that. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's truer than you, even that. I mean, I, I was astonished at how many scientists, especially well in industry, especially just, they're like, well, what do the investors want? Or what are the, you know, I mean, it was like, you stopped even thinking for yourself or like, what is the, you know, or how to use the scientific method. It was just like, okay, well, the, the, the investors or the, whoever, you know, want to see X, Y, Z, they want this data, this one, you know, and that would be what they were concerned with is making them happy so that it casts them in a positive light. So they'd get more opportunities, they'd get promotions, they'd get, and yet that's not science. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just makes you think the state of just the human condition of human character. And, you know, I, I, I can see how someone who's spent eight years going through school is a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt you know, has a wife or a husband, kids, you know, going to college, all this stuff. And then they come to this place where they're like, oh shit, maybe everything that I learned is not right. What do I do now? 
it's like you have bills to pay, you have a mortgage to pay, mm-hmm. all that stuff. I could see how what what that can do to an individual's psychology, you know. And it, and like I said before earlier, it takes a certain type of individual with a certain level of character and integrity and psycho-emotional fortitude to stand apart from the crowd, to rise above the herd of, of, of scientists in the cult of scientism and to speak out and to, and to stand for truth and to take, take those arrows that they're going to get, you know, but, but what comes of it? It's like, I sit here looking at you and what you've done. And it's like these connections and these people and the tribe that you've connected with and, and the, the, the things that you're creating, like what is, what does that do to your spirit? You know, like, like you say, you feel like there's this load that's off of you, you know? And when you, when you live your truth, you attract like-minded people. Like Joel, don't you have like a quote or something you've said about that or what animals do? You know, like, I feel like I've seen, you've, you've said some tweet about that, you know? <laughs> I've, I've dropped that every episode. I'm trying to think through now, like, so what's, what's, what's the solution for science? Like how can, how can objective science and truth be rewarded so that it can can grow in the correct direction as opposed to being hijacked by bureaucracy and collectivism and and favors and corporate and corporatocracy like because it seems as though there's no incentive for doing real research right right exactly the the incentives are for doing shoddy work effectively i mean for because it's all about how do you get funded? How do you get published? How do you get, you know, um, yeah. How do you build value in your, in your drug and get it to market and all this stuff? And it's not, I mean, the last thing on the list is how do you do real science? I mean, I think, like I said, the system just kind of breeds this stuff. And so, you know, largely I think you need a different system where it's not going to be, um, driving this, this kind of, I, I don't even know. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's so many conflicts of interest with so much of the work that's done in both academic work and in industry. It, it's, 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 it's astounding. I mean, and the way that the, you know, like you have published work that comes out, but there's so many issues with peer review, the way that, the process by which a lot of these scientists write papers. I mean, I, I, I've not published a ton of papers, but I mean, you'd be in these meetings where you'd have some set of data and you'd be like, well, we got to get a paper written on this, but you wouldn't have a complete set of data, but you'd have to kind of figure out what you were going to write the paper about. And then you'd go, you'd be basically going back and just trying to fill in the gaps you know, and then even then, and then you're cherry picking data that best fits that story that you're trying to tell. And you're not, you know, so it's not at all derived by pure scientific exploration. Yeah. It can't, it just, it can't be that way anymore. It can't be all about who's funding me, who, who, do, who, do, who do I need to, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, about just getting ahead and, but I mean, and I don't know. I mean, like you said with the, the education thing, I mean, it is you in grad school and I know in med school too, like you're just bombarded with information. You can't, there is no ability to ask questions. You just kind of defer appeal to the authority of the the instructor, the teacher. And I mean, and then that's it. And then when you get out, you know, you've invested that time or you've got this pile of debt and 
Yeah. I mean, and then if you look at all the, where, where the schools are getting their funding and everything from, you kind of know why that's the way it is. But <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's literally the system that I think is the problem. And yeah. So like, when do you feel as though this corruption really began to take hold? And when was the last time where you feel as though science was actually science? It's, I don't know, it's got to be at least the last hundred years or so has been just, you know, pretty much compromised. I mean, yeah. Once the Rockefellers um, got their hands into things. Every, that's exactly what I was going to say. Every since, ever since they got their hands on things, it's, it's been all about, you know, that basically shifted everything to allopathic medicine and pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. and, you know, real science was kind of off the table at that point because it had to drive those goals over a century a century it's amazing most of what we what we know today and and appreciate as science has 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 been from the last 100 years or so and it's you know it's all been under that system yeah yeah stuff and before anything, that i mean who knows yeah. you know a lot of the stuff before that has been kind of erased from history and anything that has come out to try to challenge it, I mean, it gets squashed. You know, I mean, we've had Dr. Melissa Sell on here twice. I'm a big fan of German, German, German new medicine. Yeah. I mean, it's just, to me, it's it's just mind-blowing uh, discoveries that that Dr. Hammer made 40 years ago, man. 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, what did it take? This is where there's like a silver lining. What did it take for these conversations to be had and for more people to come out there questioning the foundational evidence uh, of viruses, et cetera? But this global event where there were just like, everyone stay in your homes, okay? You're going <laughs> to sneeze on anyone. If you do anything, you're going to kill grandma. You're this horrible person. And I think, and then if, what, what helps is that we have the internet. And so people are home. They're not leaving. They're like, let me just start looking more stuff up. And so, like, again, like, I sit here and I go, so many blessings have come over the last two years. You know, I've said it enough. You know, I met this awesome human within the last you know, year and a half. And, and I, so I'm, I'm grateful while at the same time, I'm still just like, holy shit, this is crazy. This is (laughs) happening. Yeah. I think it's probably been a mind blowing experience for, for a lot of people that instead of just sitting around and binging on Netflix, they decided to, to dig a little bit deeper. And then they were like, Whoa, what have I got myself into? Yeah, because we live in an information age. I mean, let's be real. Yes, there's a lot of bullshit out there, and you have to use discernment and hopefully have a mind and critical analysis. But like, we we're in 2022. Most of the information ever is accessible right, right here. Yeah. All you need is a will, the mm-hmm. will to just search beyond the initial page of the search engine that you're looking at. <laughs> the veil of the first page. Right, the veil right, of the right. first page or two like you know but again exactly. this is where it comes down to the individual the curiosity the wonder the the desire for truth the the intuition intuition plays a role to just be like wait something's off no something's off i don't know if i trust this you know mm-hmm. well many people are just too they're too comfortable with their lifestyles they're like well what yeah. why should i question this i don't want to you know I'm too busy too for some people. Busy, I think it's just right. too busy. Like, oh shit, I got, I got two jobs and kids to feed. I've got no time, you know? But then again, when you think about time, it's priorities because most people have time to binge watch Netflix. Well, right. You know? Yeah. But you're not yet. Who 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 thinks that they have time to to research this kind of stuff, even though you do? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, particularly when, you know, the exploration of, of, of the truth or objectivity can lead to you being cancelled and excommunicated and all the rest of it, society hasn't really, you know, provided us with the correct incentives to explore the truth. And that's obviously all intentional as well, you know, but which is, again, why I feel like this huge window of, of opportunity that we have available here now where things are becoming more decentralized, there's more opportunities to actually carve your own path and um, and, to, and, to, and to find capitalization and reward from exploring the truth. There's never been more opportunities to do that, you know? Um, so I think things, things are going to shift for sure. And, you know, the way they went about it was just so over the top. It's so unbelievable on so many levels how many times the, the story changed. I've said this many times. But to me, it just seems to be clearly directed at the densest of the human population. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're spot on there. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's just been mind-boggling um, yeah. how some have just accepted it and how they continue to just lie with impunity about things. And people are just I mean, like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Even now, like they're trying to explain away all these increases in in health issues, especially around heart mm -hmm. issues. I see one article one day that's like increase in heart attacks due to uh, the way you garden, increase in right. heart attacks or due to excessive <laughs> weed smoking, increase in heart attacks due to climate change. Like or the latest one, I think, is cold showers or something. Yeah, <laughs> cold like, showers. Like, it's always something new, and it's just like who who's the person? Like I I love this. This is what I think about. I think about like what's the process behind the scenes where some higher up who has a higher up in like these media orgs just goes mm -hmm. to some underling is like, hey, you got to write a piece right now, and you got to like this. They're, 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 not, they're not like they're not going like six months of research, and they're coming to the conclusion that cold showers are having right. an impact on increased heart attacks, or gardening a certain way is causing heart attacks, like or breast, you know, like oh yeah, warm. What was it? Warm because of global warming, like something like um like mothers giving their breast milk to babies were causing uh, incidents and like health issues and children, something right. of that. So again, I wondered. I'm so I'm like, what is happening behind the scenes? Where are these articles just coming from? You know, are they just yeah, make believe? Yeah. Like, are, are even the names of the people that are writing them? They're just made. I'm so curious. Are they just made up? They're just well, yeah, find themselves sure out there. Yeah, sure. There is. A, there's a lot of well, in scientific journals, there's a lot of ghost writing. So, I mean, I'm sure that happens in other places too. Hundred percent. Just an AI generating everything. <laughs> well, right, right. It's possible. Yeah. Or there's a couple you know? guys like, oh, I bet we can't get them to believe that, you know, <laughs> this story or that, you know, like, no? we'll tell them that if they get out of bed, they're going to be at higher risk of getting having a heart attack or something, you know, yeah. ridiculous. And there's still <laughs> so there's some sensible people out there that I've, you know, I've connected with who are just like, yeah, you know, we kind of got bought into the narrative, et cetera. But there's still, you know, people who are just like two and a half years later. And this is they've dug their heels in even deeper. You know, I mean, you have people lining up around the corners to get 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 the monkeypox jab, you know, in, in New York City. And you're just like, what is going on? But again, this is this is the blind faith, the belief in in scientism, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's like it can do no wrong. And yet yeah. the evidence shows you that it's just wrong after wrong after wrong after wrong if you're just paying attention i mean this recent the recent meme video that came out with like fauci biden all these other people 
people where they're like, they have their them saying, if you take the jab, you will not get COVID. And it's like, I got COVID. If you take the jab, you will not get COVID. Oh, I got COVID. You know, each one of them <laughs> is getting it over and over again. And mm-hmm. just even from the pharmaceutical industry, I mean, think of all the drugs that have been approved as, as safe and then have been taken off the market because they're not safe. I mean, that list is just... It's like it's like probably like longer than the scrolls that they use historically speaking. You know, it's oh it's yeah, just wild to me. But at some point, the science said it was safe, and then a year later, two years later, five years later, they're like taking off these drugs off the market because they're causing untold harm. Yeah, so, it's it's insane. Yeah, the um, the list of drugs that's yeah that have been pulled back because they've been deemed to be too toxic or whatever. I mean, people just assume that because the FDA gave their approval that they've, you know, it's it's safe and effective, right? And it's and therefore they've they've rubber stamped it and it's good. But I mean, the fact is these clinical trials are only for a particular duration and it's not very long. So you're there's a whole lot of stuff you're never gonna pick up. And even then, it's really problematic what they're doing in the clinical trials. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of drugs that have come out, and but people just don't realize that because obviously it's not advertised. Nobody's going to be like, "Well, look, here's the list of drugs that have not, you know, yeah. that have been retracted." But but or, people forget, like it's almost like they they just forget, and they get so caught up in the moment. Like even when you think of like drugs that are highly politic, like highly um, talked about in the media, like Vioxx yeah. and all these things that were right. causing all these issues, and it's like. Oh, no, I'm just going to totally have blind faith in the pharmaceutical industry. And they just rush something to market and then they're just giving it to like billions of people. And it's totally OK. Like, don't you. I mean, it just again, this shows you the the power of 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 subconscious programming and also more overt programming. That occurs. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, if there's like a young, highly motivated, innocent, well-meaning person that wants to get into science today. What's your advice to them? What 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 do, what do yeah. they do? That's a great question. Uh, turn and run. No, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I join, could join scientists for medical freedom. Okay, for health freedom. Yeah, join scientists <laughs> for health freedom. Let's let's join. Yeah, join me and let's build a new decentralized system of doing real, true science. Don't. I mean, I don't know if I could advise someone to to go into that system because yeah. from what I know, I mean, I, I think that would be, uh, I don't know. I mean, that would be pretty bad of me to advise them to go into that. Knowing well, what I know. <laughs> well, that's the thing because it's like you, you, if they go into the, the belly of the beast, it starts at academia. So it's like, they almost have right. to just proclaim that they're a scientist, even though they don't have the letters after their name and just be like, I live as a scientist like I honor the principles of science as an individual, you know, but again, you're in terms of doing experiments, like where do you get the funding, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's tricky. It's a, it's a kind of heartbreaking reality for someone that is, would be really passionate about science, right? Oh yeah. I would imagine. I mean, especially if you're just kind of going along with what you're told about science and about, you know, how scientific research is done and, you know, I mean, it could look really cool, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. And then if you find, yeah, then you find out that that's, it's not really the case. I mean, 
I, I can't even imagine. I mean, obviously I was blind, you know, I, yeah. I didn't see it even myself and spent a lot of years um, battling because I, I kept questioning things even beyond, you know, the HIV stuff throughout my career. How was that process for you? Like just internally, like when you, when you're like on a path, you've gone through the system, you got the letters after your name, you got degrees, you're doing the work. And then little by little, you know, there's something, there's something poking at you inside of mm -hmm. you, you know, that's just like, Mike, look this way. Oh, you know, that doesn't make <laughs> sense. No, no, keep going down that. And then, and then you have to grapple internally with like, oh, wait, what's going on with that? You know, you, you, what was that like for you? It was, I mean, there were things that would just blow me away and drive me nuts just because some of the stuff that my former colleagues would do or not do, you know, the way that they would do work in the lab and stuff. And I mean, I, I, I saw a lot of this, like really careless work stuff that was, you know, almost borderline fraudulent because you're making claims on things where there's not data to back it up or you're not doing a very well-designed experiment where you have all the controls and everything. So you, you know, that you're, you know, your data is more than likely to not be valid or reproducible or whatever. And I mean, it, it's hard because you're, you want to believe that you're doing something good. You're doing the right thing. You're, you're doing science, you're, do, you know, and you're trying to discover treatments to help people and all this stuff. But you keep seeing things that are just like, is, did that person really do that? Or did I really, you know, you're in a meeting and someone's talking about, you know, you're like, did they really say that? You know? And after time, you know, I mean, I just started being like, you know, bringing things up and at, pushing back and asking questions. And of course they don't like that. Mm -hmm. And it probably cost me opportunities and things. And so there were probably some people that weren't too disappointed when I didn't comply and they finally, were rid of me, but, um, I mean, I, you know, I think, but that's also kind of why I think it's, there are people that think that they can repair the, these problems from the inside. If they just, you know, ask questions and if they try to change certain processes and things about, you know, how things are done. And, but I mean, there's, the problem is the people, the majority of the scientists and the people in leadership positions and higher up don't see that there's any issues. I mean, there's this whole thing in the early 2000s where um, it's called the reproducibility crisis, where you, they found that they couldn't reproduce the majority of published data. Mm -hmm. um, and scientists, I mean, it's something that most scientists are well aware of, but they, they just don't see that it's a big problem. They don't see why it make, means the data is invalid or the system is flawed. So there's no motivation to do anything about it. Well, they're living cushy lives. They're getting paid. They got the second house. They got, you know, they're paying their mm -hmm. bills. They're doing all, everything else. They're getting esteem. They get to wear the white coats. They get articles written about them. They get to go to fancy dinners. They get, they get free trips paid for by pharmaceutical companies. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And most people are like, this life? Or being ridiculed, made fun of, and ostracized. Mm. Nah, I'm going to keep chilling. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, why would you? you I know? mean, there's a lot of scientists in the trenches that are not, li you know, not living glamorous lives. I mean, it's it, you actually start out 
it's not the most well-paid thing, but, uh, but if you do it for a while, and especially if you're in pharma and stuff like that, like there's a lot of perks, like no joke. There's a lot of perks. I'm saying that the people (laughs) that like determine how the system continues to operate, they, they, they have a ton of, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, man. Yeah, nobody's gonna be like, yeah, I don't need that. I'll just, <laughs> I don't need that. Yeah, it's it's just, it's just wild. Mm-hmm. It seems like just such a captured operation, you know. In a in a way, I mean, it's kind of like, I think most people just willingly go along with it because, again, they don't they they don't want to question things because it it could mess up their career or their lifestyle or their whatever. So it just kind of, it, it kind of has a built in like defense mechanism, right? So it, the, the, they, the very people, these scientists, they, they basically defend the system itself with that, you know, so it yeah. just keeps perpetuating. Yeah. Okay. Say, say there wasn't all this corruption involved with science and you had the funding to go and research things that you wanted to research. What are the top three things that you would be invested to go and discover from a place of objectivity and truth? Um, well, I mean, I'd, I'd love to explore other causes of disease, um, get beyond some of the kind of singular things that we're told that cause disease and, and really dig into, you know, trying to understand what, what actually is causing it or, you know, or what, what is really going on? Um, and how can we better understand what the, the body is actually doing? Um, and you know, whether it's understanding what, um, kind of components of our lifestyle, you know, or what things are, you know, is it toxins or things that are, that are causing certain, um, diseases or whatever, you know, things like that to, really understand and get beyond this whole idea that, well, it's a virus causing it, or it's a, you know, whatever. Um, and I guess another thing would be around getting a deeper understanding of what cancer is. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of what we're told in terms of the mainstream understanding of cancer is not correct. Um, and I've heard a lot of alternative theories that make a lot of sense. Um, but again, it's one of those things where, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to explore that sort of stuff in a conventional lab. So it winds up just being a lot of theorizing, but what if we were able to, um, you know, take that and, develop some hypotheses that we could test and really understand what was going on. Um, you know, most of this stuff we've been told that all, all these things are things to fear that they're things, you know, but I mean, how much of it is actually the body trying to protect itself and heal itself and, and all that. And, but, you know, if we can't do the experiments to understand these things more than, you know, we're just left to kind of ponder and question and stuff like that. But I mean, I think it'd be, it'd be really helpful to actually try to do those kinds of experiments to, to gain a deeper understanding of these things. Mm. Yeah, for sure, man. Like 
this whole discussion obviously is relative to, I mean, science in relation to health and disease, right? But does this kind of corruption, would you know, does this branch into like other branches of science, so to speak, and other explorations of science? You mean outside of like medical science? Outside of medical science, science. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's as as far as I'm... I know. I mean, it's pretty well across the board in in most dis- scientific disciplines. I mean, any area where you have to kind of live and die by the same sort of funding paradigm by having to publish your, you know, yeah. um, your work. And so, right. Exactly. So, I mean, you could yeah pull pull anything like that out of a hat, and it's going to be it's going to be riddled with issues. M- most of the same kinds of things. Yeah. I yeah. Guess well, there's such an be- incestuous. There's such an incestuous relationship, you know, when you think about between government, between, you know, universities, between the, you know, uh, lobbyists, like this, just this, this web of, of just like money being handed back and forth, favors being handed back and forth, mm-hmm. conflicts of interest left and right, working for industry, going to work for the government, back to industry, back to government. Like, that's why I think the, the change is going to happen outside the system, not within the system. It's going to happen by people, uh, creative people creating something new, and then more and more people waking up and being like, I don't want that old shit. I'm down with the new shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. People just need to go and read Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. She theorized the exact reality we're living in, and she gave us the solution as well. You know, and it's it's kind of what's taking place right now. People are just exiting the paradigm. You know, let's mm-hmm. let's let, let, let's remove the talent. Let's remove the skill. Let's 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 remove the ability, because these people they're not yeah. really ruling through intelligence. It's just it's just ruthlessness. <laughs> that's that's all it is. Yeah, we need we need a John Galt to shut down the engine of innovations. People can see how how crazy it is when you don't have these people that are you know that really drive the world, so to speak, and then. And then then they can try to see if their lifestyles still stand up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Let it let 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 it fall to let it fall to bits, so to speak. You know, and yeah, yeah. Let let. I I feel like we're heading in that direction. Like I feel like there's going to be opportunities for you know for incentives to be had for for researching truth and for exploring the truth. And like I said before, more and more of those opportunities are showing up every single day. We're very much so in a trans transitory phase right now. Like 2020 just happened. Things just fucking collapsed on them on, on, on themselves. And the roots, you know, they're just they're just starting to to take hold now and just starting to shoot. So I think the future is very exciting. And I'm obviously very grateful for it because, you know, I think the truth has much more legs now than it ever did without the whole scamdemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's exposed so much to anybody that's willing to look that I don't think and those people will look back. I mean, and it's and because of that, it's opened up so many opportunities. There's so many people that are willing to explore other ways of doing things. Yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, there, there's no amount of money that would that would ever make me want to go back into to doing what I was doing. I mean, I'd much rather, you know, look at the fact that, you know, I have kind of a, a new and different purpose now and whatever, whatever that is, I mean, it is. And I don't care about, 
you know, I th- glamorous lifestyles and, you know, all that stuff. I mean, I think really what people wind up looking for is, you know, more simple living that's kind of back to, you know, how nature intended. I mean, and not being beholden to these these crazy systems. And yep. that just opens up so many opportunities to create new things. Yeah, that's it, man. People need to figure out how to create value outside of the system. That's... Mm-hmm. That's the only way forward. You know, there's a lot of opportunities available for a lot of industries. I haven't got my head around where it lands for science though yet, you know? Um, But I think it it always comes down to the sharing of knowledge and information, which is, you know, more prevalent now than ever before. Yeah, yeah. The science one, I think is a little bit trickier just because there's so much of a monopoly on science, so to speak, that, you you know, it's going to probably take a little bit more yeah. thinking than some of the others but yeah I, I i think it you know i think there's definitely opportunities there too awesome so where we're currently as we stand where would you suggest that people turn to for science who are who are some of the biggest who are some of the most profound researchers and names out there whose work you can you can you can validate and speak to with integrity um no science scientists in doing scientific research in the system or just anywhere where 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 can people look anywhere yeah it doesn't have to be in the system yeah well in the system i mean obviously they're plagued by issues but um i mean if you want to look outside the system i mean i don't know there's a, there's a lot of great people that are you know speaking out and and asking questions um, you know, people are like, like Dr. Kaufman and Dr. Cowan and people like, um, Dr. Uh, Barlando, who's, mm. who's doing some great things. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of great minds like that, that have been searching for the truth about what, you know, what's really going on, um, with, especially with respect to the last two years. I mean, and I used to think that there were a lot of good people, you know, kind of in science, in research, if you would have asked me that question two years ago or so, you know, I probably would have had a list of of other people who I, you know, thought I respected and held to some level of credibility. But, you know, it's hard to believe that anymore. Because they've just fallen lockstep with all this stuff. And yeah. That's a, a, a breach of integrity pulls everything else into question. Mm-hmm. For sure. Exactly. What are your thoughts on um, Dr. Stefan Lanka? Well, yeah, him too. I mean, I, I think the work that he's done to try to do the actual proper control experiments has been really informative. Um, you know, I think he's a great voice in all this and asking questions, I mean, and leveraging his work and his experience to say, hey, this is not what I, you know, not what I found, not what I have observed in my own research. And then he kept, you know, probing further. And um, so, yeah, he's he's definitely a, a very good, strong voice um, searching for the truth about virology. And the work that he's done, I mean, um, has been, has been huge. I mean, although, you know, unfortunately, because of the way the system is, I, you know, it, 
I think everybody wants to to see it get published and all this stuff. And but I, you know, again, it's one of those things like if you don't do what they want you to do, or you come up with something that doesn't fit the narrative, you know, nobody's gonna want to publish you or whatever. But then anybody that's in the system that says, well, let me, you know, that is gonna be judging for themselves, is this work credible? If it's not published in some journal that they believe is credible, then they're gonna be like, well, I don't, well, then that's just, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's unfortunate, but he's yeah, I mean, he's done great stuff too. Or it'll get published like in 30 years after like like more and more right. people know. But it's like even now, like well, just recently some study came out about like, well, depression isn't caused by a chemical balance in the brain. And it's like people have been saying that for years. You know, that was my my uh, my thought of it, my views based on my own research and being exposed to different people. And I've had conversations with people for over 10, 15 years around this. And yet now it's like people are posting, oh, my God, did you hear? And it's like, what are you talking about? So I think the same thing's yeah. going to happen, you know, with stuff like this. Now like, it's official. <laughs> now it's official. Now it's official, yeah. You know? So, like, same thing, you know, Stefan Lanka's studies will be published, like, in 30, 40 years. And, people, mm. and, and then people are like, oh, yeah, I always knew this was well, the case. Yeah. Oh, have you heard about the the new challenge, the no virus challenge that is kind of being led by Dr. Cowan? No, no, I haven't. No. Okay. Well, so no. the idea with this was in an effort to not not just have debates, endless debates that you know you never actually get to any kind of a real decision because it you just kind of split the you know, some people are going to say, okay, I believe it. Some people are not, you know, but you never, you don't have any way of actually getting to a resolution. There was this idea to, well, let's just do the experiments. Let's do a proper controlled experiment and actually get to the bottom of it. So it's this challenge where the idea is to do an experiment with different samples from different people. So you've got someone who's not sick at all. You've got someone who's deemed to have COVID and then you've got other non-COVID sickness. So you've got something like someone who's had influenza and then you've got someone who's got a lung disease, but not a viral, you know, so like lung cancer. So they've still got something. And then you blind those samples, but you take them and treat them as virologists would when they're quote unquote isolating a virus and you see what they get out. Can they show truly that they're seeing what they claim to be a virus just in the samples that are supposed to be mm. virus and not in any of the other ones? And then, you know, you could take that further and um, say, okay, we'll isolate the genome or whatever, you know, and see if you can if if it's only showing up in the samples that it's supposed to, and is it consistent? Because uh, the idea is to do it at, at a number of independent laboratories that would also be blind to each other, so they wouldn't know who who's work, who else is working on it or what the samples are. So it would be a really rigorous study that's well controlled, blinded, so you wouldn't have the bias. And that you know, in 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 terms of just trying to settle this once and for all with experimental data that should in theory be definitive um and there's i forget something like 20 doctors and scientists have have signed on to this i'm i'm one of them and um 
you know, so now the idea is to try to get support and get other people kind of within the health freedom community that are not wanting to broach this subject or consider it to sign on and say, okay, you know, we'd be willing to support doing these experiments and just seeing what, what happens to settle it. Yeah. I used to do experience experiments like that all the time when I was a bartender. I used to do, I used to do a blind taste test with like the best, the best vodka and the shittiest vodka with my guests. They would be wrong all the time. So it just goes to oh, show yeah. you the power of marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so. absolutely. Mike, um, we're so glad that you've chosen the path that you've taken that you've chosen. Thank you for being um a voice in the chaos and standing for truth. We really appreciate that. Um where where can our audience find you? How can they connect with you? And what are your links? Um, yeah, so I, I don't have a website just yet, but I do have a, a Substack newsletter blog thing. And that's what this is, still in the storm. Oh, great. And I also have a personal Telegram community by the same name. Because then on Telegram is also where I started the, the Scientists for Health Freedom. So the main kind of channel and group are there. Awesome. And then there's also groups on other platforms now as well. Um, and I can be found pretty much on just about any social media platform, um, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or any of the you know alternative ones. And generally under my name, Mike Donio. Awesome, man. We've got your links. We'll put them all in the show notes and the brief. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks, man. Thank you. Smoking mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion Waking up in the time, they think you're in a delusion Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing I'm in a DeLorean Fast forward an evolution To a place where we can share that confusion Yeah, 450 BC I'm sharing tea with confusion